Hey there, good little Margaret. See what's going on with Modest Touch. Uh, thanks for three twin K. Even if it's just law enforcement surveilling me without a warrant. 24-7 like I have been for several years now. Anyway, so uh, my name's Chista, and I'm a modest touch producer, and uh, unapologetically pro-democracy. Everybody, please go subscribe to Modest Touch, give them 2 million followers, and uh, you can follow me too across social media. And please do sign my petition to run for Sheriff and Senate and Judge if you're in Arizona, Tucson, Berkeley, Pima County. If you're in Pima County, sign my petitions. It's go.azsos.gov slash xrxj that is for judge and for she rip it is go.azsos.gov slash xww9 and for senate if you're in arizona it's go.azsos.gov slash V7DT and if you want to donate to McGuffinney to help me in my struggle to get my pets back my service animal service dog freaking pigs freaking oinkers wankers wanker oinkers they raided freaking raided me, stripped us of, of all our civil and constitutional rights, and uh, falsely charged, arrested, and incarcerated us. And unlawfully seized all my pets for no freaking reason. They were perfectly healthy. It's horrific what happened. Anyway, thanks for the angels who donated and uh, for some reason the server's timing out on this so I'm going to try another one let's see here Somebody commented on his post I haven't seen. That's exciting. <laughs> Trump is nice. After an entire life of co-conspirators uh, of Giuli Giuliani is destroyed. That's a uh, headline three days ago. Why is it three days ago? 
Why is it so old? Jack tests Cannon. Jack Smith uh, finally calls Judge Cannon's bluff in Trump Tower. Okay, good. Finally. I'm 56, and my husband says I have the jaw and neckline of a 26-year-old. How did I do it? Well, for a written jury questionnaire, but specifically asks federal judge Eileen Cannon in the Southern District of Florida criminal case. Again, I really like this move that Jack Smith is doing right here. He just filed a motion for a written jury questionnaire, but specifically asks federal judge Eileen Cannon in the Southern District of Florida to case herself. against Donald Trump for the willful retention of national defense information to start this process immediately to begin this jury questionnaire process by February 2nd, mm. if indeed the real trial date is going to be May 20th, 2024, which is the date that Judge Eileen Cannon has purportedly set the trial date for. Now, nobody believes that this May 20th, 2024 trial date is a real trial date. We all just think that Judge Eileen Cannon is keeping that trial date to try to protect Donald Trump from other trial dates happening in that time period. One way we know that is because Judge Eileen Cannon has previously rejected Special Counsel Jack Smith's request that she set a SEPA Section 5 deadline. SEPA Section 5 involves the a criminal defendant's disclosure of classified information that he or she or they intend to reveal in a criminal case involving classified information. It's the key deadline in SEPA cases. And of course, the Mar-a-Lago document case is a SEPA case. It involves classified information that Donald Trump stole, that he willfully retained. And by not setting a SEPA Section 5 deadline, a special counsel Jack Smith requested, how in the world are you really going to have your May 20th, 2024 trial date? So so by filing this motion, it's a way for special counsel Jack Smith to try to smoke out Judge Eileen Cannon's true intentions. And if you want to talk about playing multidimensional chess here, think about why special counsel Jack Smith is doing this right now as well, because he is aware that in the Washington, D.C. criminal case, Judge Tanya Chutkin has temporarily stayed that case after denying Donald Trump's motion to dismiss the indictment on the grounds of absolute presidential immunity. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals has expedited oral argument January 9th, 2024 will be the date when oral argument on the, in the issue of absolute presidential immunity will be heard by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And the D.C. Circuit Court's also expedited the briefing. The last paperwork gets filed January 2nd. But what this means is that the Washington, D.C. criminal case may potentially be delayed by about 30, 45, maybe even 60 days. So you see that trial date, March 4th, 2024, probably gets kicked to mid-April maybe even May. So as the Washington, D.C. deadline or the Washington, D.C. trial date creeps up against Judge Eileen Cannon's trial date, May 20th, 2024, I think special counsel Jack Smith's going to be doing these maneuvers like we're seeing here to say, okay, Judge Cannon, if you're really going to do that May 20th, 2024 trial date, jury questionnaires, February 2nd, set a SEPA 5 section, SEPA section 5 hearing. You have to do these things if that date is a real deadline with the hopes of basically calling Judge Cannon's bluff, proving that May 20th, 2024 trial date is not real, getting that bumped to some later date, or if Judge Eileen Cannon continues to engage in obstructive conduct, eventually tee this thing up if she finally makes some order that is appealable to go to the 11th Circuit 
Circuit Court of Appeals and say she's just not file, uh, following SEPA deadlines. There's no way to do a SEPA case when she's not setting SEPA hearing dates and deadlines. Take a look at the government's motion for written jury questionnaire. And that's why you have to read these filings with a discerning eye. And that's what we like to talk about here at the Midas Touch Network, the filings, but the maneuvering behind the filings as well. Because if you just looked at this and go, oh, it's a motion for a written qu jury questionnaire. Well, that's not sexy. That doesn't seem like a big deal. No, it is a big effing deal. And let me explain why. Let's take a look. The government moves for a written, this is before Judge Eileen Cannon in the Mar-a-Lago document case in Southern District of Florida. The government moves for a written jury questionnaire to be completed by potential jurors in advance of in-person jury selection. In other words, okay, Judge Cannon, you said a May 20th, 2024 trial date. Let's do the things like we are going to trial on May 20th, 2024, goes on to say, because the pretrial publicity surrounding this case is substantial, the government recommends a thorough jury selection process, including a written questionnaire completed by potential jurors before in-person voir dire. That's the questioning of the jurors. It's called voir dire. Speak the truth. Latin phrase. A questionnaire, which is now a common complement to oral examination when selecting an effective impartial jury, will make jury selection more efficient and effective by allowing the parties on the court to identify uncontested strikes for cause and hardships before in-person voir dire begins and to conduct informed individual questioning of a winnowed veneer, of a winnowed down potential jury pool. Sleep is the foundation of our mental and physical health. When you are sleeping well, you can perform at your best mentally and physically. Proper sleep can also increase focus, boost energy, and improve your mood. Introducing Beams, cocoa, and sea salt, caramel, hot water, or it's previously set 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash Midas and use code Midas at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash M-E-I-D-A-S and use the code Midas for up to 40% off. And now, back to the show. The government is mindful of the court's prior order that apart from the dates set forth therein and the dates previously set for calendar call and trial, any further deadlines will be set after a scheduling conference on March 1, 2024. However, given the lead time that the clerk's office will need to implement a jury questionnaire, beginning the process after March 1 will likely not provide the court with sufficient time prior to trial. As described below, previous cases in this district in which questionnaires were used suggest that the clerk's office requires approximately 10 weeks time for the questionnaire process, which includes mailing questionnaires to potential jurors to be returned to the clerk's office in postmarked envelopes. In this case, that means a final questionnaire would need to be approved before on or about March 11th for a May 20th trial. As an alternative, the court, and it goes on to say some additional things, but in other words, we need to get the show on the road right now, Judge Eileen Cannon. And what Special Counsel Jack Smith points out is Judge Cannon's prior orders. Which prior orders is he pointing out in particular? 
So if you look at Judge Eileen Cannon's scheduling order, you take a look at it, you'll see that she set this May 20th, 2024 trial date. She says she's not moving that trial date at all, but she scheduled a March 1, 2024 trial setting conference. So Special Counsel Jack Smith previously asked for a SEPA Section 5 deadline be set, and this is what Judge Eileen Cannon previously responded back on November 16, 2023. She denied it without prejudice. She said that Jack Smith's motion for SEPA Section 5, as stated in the court's November 10, 2023 order, all previously remaining deadlines in the court's July 21, 2023 order are superseded except calendar call and trial. The court reset the first set of pretrial deadlines as indicated on pages 8 and 9 of that order and scheduled a conference on March 1, 2024 to address the remaining deadlines. To the extent the special counsel's motion seeks reconsideration in part of the court's November 10, 2023 order, the request is denied. SEPA Section 5 deadlines and all other pretrial deadlines not included in the first batch of pretrial deadlines contained in the court's revised schedule will be set following the March 1, 2024 scheduling conference. So right then and there, it's clear if you're not setting a SEPA Section 5 deadline now and you're going to wait to set that for the first time when the parties arrive on March 1, 2024, then how are you possibly going to be ready with all of the motion practice that's needed to go to trial on May 20th, 2024? You are not. But here, Special Counsel Jack Smith saying, okay, we hear you there loud and clear, Judge Caddy. You don't want to see for Section 5. We'll deal with that. But I also want to try to smoke out and prove that there is no way that this is getting done on time. Let's start with the jury questionnaires. Judge Cannon, it's clear that if we want to go through the process that mostly all judges go through here now, especially in high-profile cases, those, those jury questionnaires need to start getting out in the next two months. Cool? Are you good with that, Judge Cannon? And what does Special Counsel Jack Smith expect her to say? I think Jack Smith will expect her to say that she's not going to do that um, because she's not serious about the dates. And she may say, I'm not uh, doing it for that reason. She may just say, we'll talk about it at the March 1, 2024 hearing. But what she'll be revealing is that that's not a serious date. Here's why it's important as well. If she does not agree to a jury questionnaire, if she does not set the seat for Section 5 deadlines, if she does not go through the steps that you normally would to set a trial date and all of the related deadlines, this way, by the time the case gets sent back from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals or maybe even the Supreme Court to Judge Tanya Chutkin, Special Counsel Jack Smith can then prepare a brief in the Washington, D.C. case and say, look, while Judge Eileen Cannon apparently still has this May 20th, 2024 trial date, we now know that that's not a realistic date. She hasn't set SEPA Section 5 deadlines. She's not doing jury questionnaires. She's not taking the steps as though she's serious. So, Judge Tanya Chutkin, you should feel empowered to set the deadline, to set your trial date before Judge Eileen Cannon's. That's the multi-dimensional game of chess that Jack Smith's playing, while Judge Cannon and Trump's lawyers are clearly playing one-dimensional checkers right here. So we'll keep you posted with more, but that's Jack Smith's move. Find out if Judge Cannon's going to set these questionnaires. Are you really ready for trial, Cannon, or are you just bluffing? Jack Smith calling 
Judge Cannon's bluff. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers thanks to your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch and have a great day. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. I always thought protein was good thing. But the truth is, not all protein is good for you. Let's see what else might touch us. A recent major health breakthrough revealed that there's a specific protein that actually triggers arthritis pain by raising inflammation inside your hands, knees, Is it big shaken like O'Donnell? This is it. The only reason I corrected is they'll say, he didn't know his name, he didn't know his name, he must be cognitive. Don't forget, I do most of this stuff without teleprompters. They do Biden. Um, what? That is something that someone who is definitely not in cognitive decline would say. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Let's go over the lowlights of Donald Trump's speech from Tuesday in Iowa. He was speaking at Waterloo, and this speech was an utter disaster. It got worse from there. Listen to what he says here. Play the clip. It's crazy what's going on. They're ruining our country, and it's true. They're destroying the blood of our country. That's what they're doing. They're destroying our country. They don't like it when I said that, and I never read my comp. They said, oh, Hitler said that in a much different way. You know, they're coming from all over the world, people all over the world. We have no idea. They could be healthy. They could be very unhealthy. They could bring in disease that's going to catch on in our country, but they do bring in crime. But they have them coming from all over the world. And he repeats the line, destroying the blood of our country, echoing Hitler again and again. And then having to say that he hasn't read Mein Kampf. I mean, what have we come to where this is even a thing? By the way, here Donald Trump says that the reason the stock market is booming right now is actually because of... Play the clip. And I heard somebody today say... Hey, one of these uh, genius analysts, the stock market's good. Your imaginary friend, The dude. stock market's good because they think Trump is going to win the election. And I believe that's true. And whatever good they have right now is the fumes of what we left them. It's coming off the fumes of what we've left them. But the stock market is good because a lot of people think we're going to win the election. So that's an interesting, uh, an interesting fact. I felt that, but I didn't want to say it. But I think we will say it. Oh, and by the way, on the recent episode of the Midas Touch podcast, um, Brett predicted that exactly. Just so you can see what he predicted back on December 14th, actually. So about five or six days ago, here's what Brett was saying. Play the clip. Donald Trump is going to say it's because of his policies about why things are really good in 2024. He's going to say it's because of his poll numbers. He's going to say, look at my poll numbers. That's why the economy is doing so good, because everyone's excited for Trump to get back. That's a great point. That's such a great point. It's such a great point. Yeah, because when you understand malignant narcissism, when you understand the pathology, it's it's, uh, easy to predict his behavior. 
Here, Donald Trump is talking about Washington, D.C. This is what he said. Play the clip. The streets, they look like, I mean, I drove into Washington a few weeks ago for a court case. One of the many, I should get to know it very well. Very, I can't get a fair trial on Washington. The whole thing is ridiculous. But, but for a court case, I'm driving over a road where it's almost all paper garbage. And, you know, you can see paper. I know paper. I know cans. When cans start to literally rot, when paper is rotting, it's been there for a long time. Nobody cleans up anything. The medians, the dividers, they're all broken and falling down. Again, that is something that someone who is definitely not in cognitive decline would say that it was. Definitely not. Definitely not. Here, Donald Trump says that Democrats are fascists. Play this clip. The Democrats aren't. They're fascists. They're not. They want school boards. They want people to take your children and do things with your children that are not even speakable. After having to say that he doesn't read Mein Kampf, but quoting directly from Hitler's speeches, and we're very close there, too. You have to say that. Wow. Here, Donald Trump says something about children not knowing what language they're even speaking. I, I, can you keep up with what he's even saying? I don't think he can. I don't think there's something to keep up to. It's just word salad, fascist, cosplay gibberish. Let's play the clip. You have children going to school speaking languages that nobody even knows what the language is. There are many languages in the world. They don't even know what the language is. And they're sitting in classrooms that there's no room for our students in the classrooms. Oh, well, here Donald Trump talks to, talks about ripping away your health care. Play the clip. Because Obamacare, as you know, is a catastrophe for American families. Almost had it done, but then John McCain voted it down. After campaigning for 10 years to kill it, John McCain voted it down. Too bad. Oh, too bad. Praising Jim Jordan and James Comer. Play the clip. But actually, the Republicans and, and Jim Jordan's great and... Jamie is doing a great job. I think we compare all of that madness for a moment with President Joe Biden. Here was President Joe Biden honoring former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor at her memorial service on Tuesday. Play the clip. Equal justice under law is a noble, the noblest aspiration of humankind. The aspiration of Sandra Day O'Connor, one that she pursued her whole life. The last justice to have held elective office, she was especially conscious of the law's real impact on people's lives. One need not agree with all her decisions in order to recognize that her principles were deeply held and of the highest order, and that her desire for civility was genuine. Her trust in the capacity of human institutions to make life better is what this world was abiding. And how she embodied such attributes under such pressure and scrutiny helped empower generations of women in every part of American life, including the court itself, helping to open doors, secure freedom, that a woman can not only do anything a man can do, but many times do it help a, lot, a heck of a lot better. Here's my language for And by the way, while Donald Trump was delivering whatever that was, there was the right-wing influencer event taking place in 
Phoenix, Arizona, called American Fest uh, by uh, Turning Point USA or whatever they're called. This is what Ted Cruz had to say. Play the clip. Left is so bad. They're so unhappy. They're so pissed off. And by the way, if you were a liberal woman and you had to sleep with those weenies, you'd be pissed too. Are you having trouble paying for health care, rent, gas, groceries, and other bills? Then you've got to see this. Folks, it's pure, unadulterated <clears throat> MAGA madness. And to me, as we look uh, to 2024, I mean, it's really about normalcy versus chaos. It is about democracy over dictatorship. It calls me old-fashioned, but I think it is just that simple. You got President Biden focusing on issues like, and by the way, not just the stock market. And let me be very clear, though, about the stock market for just a second. All Donald Trump would do when he was in office would be brag about the stock market. And legacy media would just push that narrative and tie the success of the stock market to Donald Trump's uh, time where he disgraced the president. You shouldn't do that. But they would give him every favor in the world. Do you remember that right before COVID hit our shores, Donald Trump signed a uh, stock market chart, sent it to Lou Dobbs, and then right before COVID hit, and then the stock market tanked the very next week. Do you remember when all of that happened? So I just want to be clear that now that the stock market is hitting record highs, when Donald Trump said that under uh, President Biden it was going to crash, it was going to worst and all of these BS things, President Biden doesn't get the credit for that at all, and the media moves on to whatever the next Donald Trump-inspired narrative is. Well, that was until the Midas Touch Network came along, but let's not talk just about the stock market. Let's talk about other economic metrics, shall we? Like, how about the fastest-growing GDP of any G7 nation? How about third-quarter GDP was revised up? 5.2%. How about that America's GDP is growing faster than China's? How about we're number one in the world when it comes to the fastest growing GDP of G7 nations right now? How about uh, because of the Inflation Reduction Act and because of other policies implemented like the Infrastructure Act and other tangible steps that President Biden's taken, he's gotten inflation under control and don't have to listen to what I'm saying. You can listen to Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, who explained that the root cause of the inflation was that Donald Trump put us in $8 trillion of more debt during his administration. He printed money like wild. But again, let's focus on 40,000 infrastructure projects. Let's focus on wage growth. Let's focus on jobs. Let's focus on bottom-up, middle-out. Let's focus on those metrics as well, because by those metrics, President Biden is doing a good job as well. And of course, the legacy media wants to focus on this or that. They want to tell us the story about why it is because the Colorado Supreme Court disqualified Donald Trump based on an insurrection that we all watched with our own eyes. One of the most humiliating and disgraceful days in American history 
The legacy media wants to push a narrative, thrust a narrative on us that that somehow benefits Donald Trump, that being disqualified, that's a big win for Donald Trump. But then when it comes to President Biden, actual wins, benefits to the economy, lowering health care, lowering health care costs, lowering prescription drug prices, delivering for seniors, delivering for students. Oh, there is. How is that going to backfire on President Biden? That's what the legacy media is pushing. Enough is enough. When you watch what we showed you at the beginning of this video, that is pure madness. That's it. Just call it what it is. It's unadulterated fascism. It's dangerous. It's madness. It's fascism plus idiocracy. We are not going to stand for it here. We, the Midas Touch pro-democracy community. Thank you for watching. Hit subscribe. Hit the thumbs up button. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch and have a great day. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Then continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch. Keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. Elon Musk has done it again. Just in the last 23 years, he's made electric cars really happen. He founded PayPal. They launched a rocket that's 700 times cheaper than NASA's. But in this building behind me, he's done something that's bigger than all those undertakings combined. Trust me, that's not a statement I make lightly. But when I show you the force Elon has unleashed in this building behind me, a force expected to be worth $15.7 trillion, you'll understand why Bill Gates is comparing it to the personal computer, the internet, and mobile phones. Forbes says it is set to unleash the greatest pop engine in history. And Google's CEO says what's behind this project is more profound than fire or electricity. My guess is you're thinking there's no way something like that is unfolding right now. No way that's moving with unbelievable speed, as the website Digital Trends is now saying. But today, I want to pull back the curtain for you and shed light on this $15.7 trillion force. I'll show you why it's poised to mint new millionaires, even as Goldman Sachs predicts that it could cost really a million jobs and disappear. And most importantly, I'll show you how you can be on the winning side of this revolution. Hi, I'm Eric Fry. I spent the last 30 years working in Silicon Valley and Wall Street as a broker, entrepreneur, analyst, and hedge fund manager. So this is not the first time I'm going public with a warning. For example, back in the year 2000, I warned everyone that the dot-com bubble was about to burst. Those who listened to me avoided the bloodbath and the NASDAQ plunged 75%. I made a similar call in 2005 when I noticed another bubble, this time in the housing market. Everyone on CNBC get the information out to as many investors as possible. And by doing so, I saved thousands of Americans from financial ruin when the housing market completely collapsed two years later. More recently, in 2021, I predicted the crash in tech stocks and advised my readers to jump out of the infamous ARK Innovation ETF. Soon after that, tech stocks crashed and that ETF dropped about 70%. In all, I have helped to alert investors ahead of crashes for 73 different stocks. Now, I'm telling you all this because I want you to take my warning seriously. This time, I'm not just dealing with another bubble or a potential stock market crash. No, it's much bigger than that. Because what's happening here in San Francisco will exponentially increase the wealth gap in America. And if you end up on the wrong side of this economic shift, you could fall behind and never be able to recover. But if you take the three steps I'm going to cover here today, you could end up on the winning side of this $15.7 trillion revolution. But you need to act fast, because as the website Digital Trend says, this disturbing new trend has been moving at an unbelievable speed in recent months. 
That's why I just released a brand new presentation telling you exactly the three steps you need to take right now to prepare. This presentation is free to watch. Just click on the button below to get started. Surprising reasons why you can't go to the bathroom. Number one, your cubby's made of. The skin and the seaweed are made of. Not our desire for stability was genuine. And our trust in the capacity of human institutions to make life better is what this world was abiding. How she embodied such attachments under such pressure and scrutiny helped empower generations of women in every part of American life, including the court itself, come with open doors, secure freedom, and prove that a woman can not only do anything a man can do, but many times do it help a, lot, a heck of a lot better. Excuse my language, folks. And by the way, while Donald Trump was delivering whatever that was, there was the right-wing influencer event taking place in Phoenix, Arizona, called American Fest by uh, Turning Point USA or whatever they're called. This is what Ted Cruz had to say. Play the clip. Left is so bad. They're so unhappy. They're so pissed off. And by the way. unadulterated MAGA madness. And to me, as we look into 2024, I mean, it's really about normalcy versus chaos. It is about democracy over dictatorship. Call it the old-fashioned, but I think it is just that simple. We have President Biden focusing on issues like, and by the way, not just the stock market. And let me be very clear, though, about the stock market for just a second. All Donald Trump would do when he was in office would be brag about the stock market. And legacy media would just push that narrative and tie the success of the stock market to Donald Trump's, uh, in my words, disgrace the president. He shouldn't do that. But they would do him every favor in the world. Do you remember that right before COVID hit our shores, Donald Trump signed a uh, stock market chart? sent it to Lou Dobbs, and then right before COVID hit, then the stock market tanked the very next week. Do you remember when all of that happened? So I just want to be clear that now that the stock market is hitting record highs, when Donald Trump said that under uh, President Biden, it's going to crash, and it's going to get worse, and all of these BS things, President Biden doesn't get the credit for that at all, and the media moves on to whatever the next Donald Trump-inspired narrative is. Well, that was until the Might and Such Network came along. But let's not talk just about the stock market. Let's talk about other economic metrics, shall we? Like how about fastest-growing GDP of any G7 nation? How about third-quarter GDP 
was revised up to 5.2%. How about that American GDP is growing faster than China's? How about we're number one in the world when it comes to the fastest growing GDP of G7 nations right now? How about uh, because of the Inflation Reduction Act and because of other policies implemented like the Infrastructure Act and other tangible steps that President Biden has taken, he's gotten inflation under control. And don't have to listen to what I'm saying. You can listen to Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis who explain that the root cause of the inflation was that Donald Trump put us in $8 trillion of more debt during his administration. He printed money like wild. So here, let's focus on 40,000 infrastructure projects. Let's focus on wage growth. Let's focus on jobs. Let's focus on bottom-up, middle-out. Let's focus on those metrics as well, because by those metrics, President Biden is doing a good job as well. And, of course, the legacy media wants to focus on this or that. They want to tell us the story about why it is because the Colorado Supreme Court disqualified Donald Trump based on an insurrection that we all watched with our own eyes. One of the most humiliating and disgraceful days in American history. The legacy media wants to push a narrative, thrust a narrative on us that that somehow benefits Donald Trump. That being disqualified, that's a big win for Donald Trump. But then when it comes to President Biden's actual wins, benefits to the economy, lowering health care, lowering health care costs, lowering prescription drug prices, delivering for seniors, delivering for students. Oh, there it is. How is that going to backfire on President Biden? That's what the legacy media is pushing. Enough is enough. When you watch what we showed you at the beginning of this video, that is pure madness. That's it. Just call it what it is. It's unadulterated fascism. It's dangerous. It's madness. It's fascism plus idiocracy. We are not going to stand for it here. We, the Midas Touch pro-democracy community. Thank you for watching. Hit subscribe. Hit the thumbs up button. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Have a great day. Hey, Midas Mighties. Love this report? To continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch. Keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now.
uh, criminal trial against them that's going to trial in March. And he's lost now, all within like, I don't know, 20 days. Immunity defense for the E. Jean Carroll second defamation case going to trial in just a month. We talk about it. We analyze it. We debate it. One place and one place only on the Midas Touch Network. Legal AF. Take a listen to the below. We talked a lot about the repercussions of uh, the reverberations, if you will, of the Giuliani verdict on the Trump defamation case. But one of the things that's paving the way for this Trump defamation case, Michael Popak, are some serious errors that were made by Donald Trump's legal team. Surprise, surprise. And failing to assert absolute presidential immunity in a case involving defamation while Donald Trump was in office by Trump's legal team is kind of a check-the-box, wink-wink error, if you will. To be clear, if you want to cite something or you want to assert an affirmative defense, it's literally a sentence in your answer. You just put, as for the third affirmative defense, Donald Trump hereby asserts absolute presidential immunity, and then you can assert it. You don't waive it until the time of trial. You could bring it up on summary judgment. You could potentially even bring it up on the eve of trial if you've asserted it as an affirmative defense. But you see, Donald Trump's legal team, again, in, the, in this E. Jean Carroll case, just a reminder, involves Donald Trump's statements while he was in office during press conferences where he defamed E. Jean Carroll. You'll remember, well, what were all these appeals about? The appeals were really jurisdictional. That was when Bill Barr tried to assist Donald Trump in substituting the United States government in place of Donald Trump, and that's what went up on appeal, whether or not the government should be substituted. So all of these appeals, Michael Popak, were over kind of the course and scope employment analysis about whether the government should be substituted in. But these appeals did not involve the other question, because Donald Trump's lawyers didn't assert absolute presidential immunity until, like, like months ago, like, like not too far long ago, where they tried to bring it up for the first time when E. Jean Carroll amended the complaint just slightly based on the new statements that Donald Trump had made after the defamation case uh, back in May when Donald Trump went on that so-called CNN town hall. And then the judge said, no, you can't bring up absolute presidential immunity on the eve of the next defamation case. You had three years to assert this as an affirmative defense. And your lawyers, when you were sued for years, year one, year two, year three, never raised this issue of absolute presidential immunity, you've waived it. We're not letting you even bring this up at the trial. So Donald Trump appealed that to the Second Circuit. And in a scathing order, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals said, waiver, you waived it. You can't assert absolute presidential uh, immunity here. And here's the thing, Popak, I want to get your take, too. As abhorrent, as despicable as Donald Trump's conduct was, he's an objective show here on Legal AF. He had a decent shot, not before Judge Kaplan, the federal judge, but I think before the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, or at least the United States Supreme Court, to actually make an absolute presidential immunity argument as it relates to the defamation case brought against him, because it is not a course and scope of employment argument. It is an issue of absolute presidential immunity, and if you go back to the Nixon v. Fitzgerald case, which is one of the preeminent cases on absolute presidential immunity, that case involved an unlawful act and unlawful retaliatory termination, but the Supreme
Supreme Court said if it falls in the outer perimeter of presidential authority, hiring and firing, even if the president engaged in something unlawful or a former president while they were in office engaged in something unlawful, if it's within the type of things they do as Article 2 and it's not criminal and it's civil in nature, you are immune from civil damages. The difference in the Blasingame case involving the January 6th insurrection, why that's distinguishable, is that the conduct falls outside the outer perimeter, right, because it involves election and campaigning. Nothing to do with Article 2 executive authority there. But the E.G. Carroll, Trump could have made an argument and said it was a press conference while I was in office. It could be despicable conduct, but it happened while I was in office. Former presidents, when they were in office, they engage in press conferences. They engage in uh, uh, interviews with the media. And I was asked these questions, and I could have seen the Supreme Court actually biting on that one. Thankfully, he weighed the issue, and now he's going to get hit with a, with a massive, massive verdict. And by the way, I want to be clear. I don't think he should have immunity for that. I think Judge Kaplan would have found that Trump does not have immunity for it under absolute presidential immunity. I think ultimately, though, a court of appeals or the Supreme Court may have disagreed, and he had a shot of getting the case dismissed on that ground. What do you think, Popeye? About, yeah, about the only good thing that's come out of Trump, Giuliani, Meadows, these criminal criminal prosecutions and the civil lawsuits is that it's developing a new body of law um, and that will now be used against them in the future or others worse than them or like them in the future. We have a now a well-developed body of law about immunity, civil application, criminal application, and that concept that you just talked about, the outer perimeter, outer boundaries, sounds like an old 1960s uh, sci-fi TV show. Um, I used to watch a show called The Outer Limits. Uh, that is now in the vernacular for a good reason, because we've had a series of cases that have been now decided by at least the D.C. Court of Appeals, which is the highest court in the land other than the United States Supreme Court when it comes to constitutional things like this, um, having already made decisions, as you said earlier, the Blasingham decision, setting the outer boundaries of, uh, of misconduct that can, uh, if it falls outside those outer boundaries, a subject of a civil lawsuit for tort and damage recovery. We have uh, the criminal side of outer boundary analysis when it comes to immunity that we're seeing now being developed through Judge Chutkin's original decision, citing back to Blasingham that there is no presidential immunity for criminal conduct automatic. You have to go look at uh, if he was inside or outside the course and scope or if he, uh, his, his Article II powers. And then uh, we're not going to touch on it much today, but similarly in the same breath this week, we've got a, another appellate court, the 11th Circuit, uh, I would say struggling, but I don't think they're struggling based on the oral argument as to whether Mark Meadows was inside or at the outer perimeters outside of his federal officer duties in order to enjoy the ability to trigger federal officer removal to take his, his Georgia prosecution from state federal court, and if the oral argument is any indication, and I did a hot take on this one, he is staying firmly in the Georgia state prosecution. That, that is the only great thing that comes out of the, the wheels of justice about, you know, I'd rather not have had the conduct to have had now developed all of this new line of immunity cases, but as you said, what we've now learned is that presidential immunity is something you have to use or waive. You have to assert or you've lost it. 
we weren't sure about that before because some people might be scratching their head even on this show and saying, well, wait a minute, what's going on with the criminal case of Judge Chutkin? Why is that case stayed awaiting an expedited resolution of immunity either by the D.C. Court of Appeals or the U.S. Supreme Court on a direct appeal? We'll talk about that in the next segment. Why is that different? Well, it's different because you're talking about criminal rights. And, and if, if it's a criminal case with, with, uh, with the liberty of somebody, in this case a former president, at risk, we don't want to put him through the trial and then find out that he had uh, immunity. We want to because, you know, that's a pretty, um, uh, that's a pretty uh, serious uh, set of consequences if, if he had immunity all along. You want to get that thing decided early as to whether, based on the record that's been developed, he is either inside or outside the outer boundaries or perimeter of his presidential authority or powers before you go off and just you know, pull a jury and start. Oh, Mike, can I say something? Just the one thing yeah. right there that I'm, I apologize for sure. interrupting is until Donald Trump at least asserted it oh, yeah. on time, later than people, yeah. people would like, he at least asserted it on time. In Blasingham, he asserted it on time. In Eugene Carroll, he never asserted it. Uh, agreed, but but my this, I was making a slightly different point, but I agree with you on that. This is the point I was trying to make. In 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 the criminal setting, it, it, I don't think it matters whether when he asserted it. I think it, it divests jurisdiction, and the court has to decide at that moment immunity. We don't have to get to that because it's not really he asserted it. But can um, I ask you a question on sure. that? Disagree sure. because okay. okay, so you're telling me then you go through all of the criminal trial. On the eve of a verdict, the jury's out, and Trump then goes, uh, you see what I mean? And, well, and that's you know, on the eve of, at any point in time, on the eve of a verdict, you go through three months of a criminal trial, then could Donald Trump say absolute presidential immunity? I still think there has to be a, a moment yeah. where you have to declare it. Yeah, the, the good news, you're right, I, I agree with you. I think waiting to, like while the jury's still out, you oh, wait a minute, I was the president, uh, why am I here? I think you're right about that. It's not an issue that was in there will be in the cases that we'll talk about next involving Donald Trump. But as you back to the, uh, the difference between, I was really making the point of does it divest the court of jurisdiction or not? Because if it's something that can't be waived, then it doesn't, you know, um, the waivability of the issue is at stake in the Second Circuit decision about E.G. Carroll. I just don't think that's the issue. Um, and yes, he raised it a little bit late for my liking, but he raised the right immunity issue on the criminal side. On the, on the E. Jean Carroll thing, that was a complete screw-up by Alina Hava. She got, obviously, some, she was handling the case for most of it. Joe Sacapina came in three months before the trial and, and took over. But she was running the day-to-day -day show. She made a number of errors. The reason that the, the blue dress coat wasn't used in the trial is because of Alina Hava screwing up in the timing of when she asked for certain things. Um, and I think she got confused when the two trials got separated and one got stayed and one moved forward. She had never raised in two and a half years, never, in her answer uh, uh, that there was presidential immunity in play. And as you said, uh, unlike in a state court proceeding where you often have to put a lot of facts behind your defenses, all you have to do in federal court is a notice pleading uh, concept. All you got to do is one line, unclean hands, presidential immunity, uh, statute of limitations, latches, one line. That's all she had to do. And it was a mistake because she should have at least raised it so that the issue got resolved on the merits on the appeal. 
I think she was surprised. You and I did hot takes on this. We played the audio of the oral argument that she got caught so flat-footed. Her only argument then became, this can never be waived. It can't be waived. It doesn't matter whether we're late. Um, it, it, it's unwaivable. And, 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 the, and the judges were like, and, I mean, it was written by Judge Jose Cabranes, but the judges at the time were like, I don't understand that. I can envision, can't you ever envision a time where a president, maybe not named Donald Trump, would be willing to waive presidential immunity in order to clear his name and try the case on the merits? And she said, no. <laughs> she was like, he's accused of being a rapist. Don't you think he doesn't want to get out on an immunity technicality? He may want to you know, put on the evidence that didn't happen. And she was like, oh, can't ever waive it. And so that was already a loser argument. When they finally got around to ruling, we now have precedent. Because there's no, there's no uh, conflict among the circuits. We have the only federal appellate court decision on the issue, which is you can waive presidential immunity if you don't raise it early enough. And it's exactly the way you said it. How late can you let him raise it? You can raise it while the jury's still deliberating and go through that process and, uh, and two bites of the apple. So, no. He'll take that, he'll try to take that appeal, but he'll have to go through Judge Sotomayor, uh, who's the associate judge in New York who sits over the Second Circuit, and she'll either reject it on her own, like so, or, which has been their habit lately because of all the, the flack they've gotten, understandably, because of their ethics, is that she'll refer it over to the full appellate panel, uh, the full uh, Supreme Court, and see if any of the nine want to uh, want to take on that appeal or not at this moment. But we are watching, and we'll talk about it in the next uh, couple seconds, we are watching that the Supreme Court is, is getting to the point where they're waking up and getting involved now with things related to Donald Trump that matter. Uh, but these are the stepping stones that are now the precedent that other courts need to apply unless they're going to do something different, set up a conflict in the circuits, and then the Supremes at some point have to decide it. We're running out of time. I mean, this is, I'm not talking to you, Ben. I'm talking just out loud. We're running out of time. This is January already, effectively. A trial in March, an election in November. Things have got to move at a high velocity. Appeal, trial, decision-making, and the rest. And I think we're starting to see it with how the D.C. Court of Appeals, which is usually the first stop on this constitutional immunity presidential train, and then the, even the U.S. Supreme Court are saying, whatever we're going to do, Almost like Bush versus Gore when in, in 2000, we got to do this quickly. You know, there was another oral argument before the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in a case involving Michael Cohen, where Cohen was challenging the unconstitutional remand for purposes of Michael Cohen's lawsuit that he filed, but he was remanded into uh, custody and put in solitary confinement because he wouldn't waive away his rights to put out a book in, in 2020. For purposes of that, basically everyone stipulated, okay, assume it is a constitutional violation, is there a remedy? Because the right-wing Supreme Court over the past three decades has gutted a doctrine called Bivens, which used to find implied causes of action in the Constitution for kind of basic constitutional wrongs, this, the right-wing Supreme Court's been saying, well, Congress needs to pass a specific remedy on a specific point, or else we can't acknowledge implied causes of rights. So, that one of the issues on appeal is does Cohen have a remedy for the constitutional wrong that was committed? The only reason I'm bringing it up is that Alina Hoppe was arguing for Donald Trump and tried to assert not official act immunity, but uh, absolute presidential immunity. So the Second Circuit uh, 
panel had questions for her about the blasting game case, right? The key case. And she goes, I, I, I have to check my notes. I, I don't know what the blasting game case stands for. And then the Second Circuit panel goes, you don't know blasting game? And she goes, no, I'm sorry, but I can talk about the Nixon uh, v. Fitzgerald case. And it's like everybody who listens and watches Legal Ass, you all know the blasting game case. And blast, it wasn't like it was decided decades ago. It was decided two weeks ago. And it's the case involving absolute presidential immunity involving her client. It's, it's basically her case. And she doesn't know what blasting game stands for, that Donald Trump does not have absolute presidential immunity in civil lawsuits relating to the conduct involving the insurrection, the campaign activity or election activity. So she couldn't answer. And then the panel was basically like, sit down, Alina Hoppe. I think that's a good segue into now what the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is doing, because the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is the court that made the finding in blasting game, finding that Donald Trump does not have absolute presidential immunity in civil cases. Now, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, they're the bosses for federal judge Tanya Chutkin, the district court judge overseeing the trial that, uh, that special counsel Jack Smith prosecuting Donald Trump for attempting to overthrow the results of the 2020 election that's scheduled for March 4th of uh, 2024. And Judge Chutkin says in a criminal case, Unlike a civil case, in civil cases, the doctrine of absolute presidential immunity exists. It is established. Donald Trump doesn't have it in January 6th cases, as the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals said. But Judge Chutkin found for an independent reason that Donald Trump doesn't have absolute presidential immunity. She found there is no such thing as absolute presidential immunity in criminal cases. So Donald Trump... For former president. Donald Trump is appealing that to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, and as I've said before, there's now two independent reasons why this should be a no-brainer for the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. The logic by Judge Tanya Chutkin that how could you have absolute presidential immunity in criminal cases? That means that former presidents during the time they were in office could act as kings. They could do whatever they want. They could summon the military and have a coup. They could do anything and say, ha-ha, we're not responsible. That clearly can't be what the text, the structure, the history of our Constitution is all about. But then the second reason is blasting game. Donald Trump's conduct, while criminal, also relates to the January 6th insurrection because the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals found that the insurrection conduct relating to Donald Trump, as alleged in the blasting game case, is outside the outer perimeter of absolute presidential immunity. He doesn't have it for that reason. So there's two powerful reasons right here that both go hand in glove. The one thing that I'm surprised Special Counsel Jack Smith didn't do, because Jack Smith's been super aggressive and did this, a few really powerful moves, I'm just surprised he didn't, and this could just be because he thought this could cause more delay, but tell Judge Tanya Chutkin that Donald Trump's appeal, because of blasting game, is frivolous, to try to certify the appeal as a frivolous appeal from the outset. But I think Special Counsel Jack Smith knew that the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals kind of knew that and would expedite it. So, right, Jack Smith did two things. One, filed a direct petition to the United States Supreme Court for certiorari, saying this is an extraordinary case. Certiorari or oral argument should happen in this term immediately before going through the normal years and years and years it takes cases to go to the Supreme Court, because this is so fundamental, so foundational to our democracy. Supreme Court responds right away, says, Donald Trump, you have until December 20th to respond 
to the issue of whether or not certiorari should be granted. So the Supreme Court not granting certiorari yet. They haven't decided that. That's the oral argument before them on the issue of absolute presidential immunity, but granting special counsel Jack Smith's request to expedite the briefing. That's in front of the Supreme Court. Meanwhile, special counsel Jack Smith filed a motion to expedite. Morgan. Amen. What's going on with my touch? Thanks for 310k. You know, it's just law enforcement surveilling me without a warrant. So, 27 minutes ago, posted Jack Smith makes diaper on pay for Judge Cannon's protection. Whatever the holidays mean to you, get the most out of them in a new ah. holiday. Special counsel Jack Smith is making Donald Trump pay for a filing Trump made in the Mar-a-Lago criminal document case a few weeks back where I described what Donald Trump was doing as a massive overreach. And I said back then that special counsel Jack Smith would make Donald Trump pay and make Judge Eileen Cannon pay. And Jack Smith is doing that right now in what Jack Smith filed. So Donald Trump was requesting that his lawyers and Donald Trump's co-defendants in the criminal case in the Southern District of Florida regarding the willful retention of national defense information, that their lawyers participate in SEPA Section 4 ex parte in-camera hearings where criminal defense lawyers are not allowed to be presented. But because you got Judge Eileen Cannon, Donald Trump, and Trump's co-defendants, Walty Nauta and Carlos de Alamelli, were like, heck, whatever, we want to be a part of it. So let's have our lawyers be present. That's not a normal thing. That does not happen. And there's serious 11th Circuit precedent and serious precedent across the country that says that is just not what happens when it comes to the classified information procedure. Like, But Trump asked for it, and Judge Eileen Cannon's the type of judge who ignores the law and would help him. And that's why I said this was an overreach because Judge Eileen Cannon has been purposefully making paperless orders, not substantive orders that can actually be appealed. She's been delaying and obstructing things by not reaching decisions. The lesson Judge Eileen Cannon learned when she was previously overturned twice in the case involving the search warrant uh, and executed on Mar-a-Lago where she asserted equitable jurisdiction, where she should not have asserted that jurisdiction, the, the, she learned the, the wrong lesson where she said, maybe I shouldn't be ruling so quickly so I don't get overturned so quickly. So now in the Mar-a-Lago document case that she's been unfortunately randomly assigned to, she's now making these rulings that are scheduling in nature that really can't be appealed. But when Donald Trump asked her, hey, Judge Eileen Cannon, we want to participate in SEPA Section 4, I said, that's an overreach. And special counsel Jack Smith's going to swoop in and he's going to say, that's not appropriate. And if you do, I'm going to go to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeal. That's basically what Jack Smith has just done right here. Here it is. The government's consolidated opposition to Trump's motion for access to SEPA Section 4 filings and Nauta and De Oliveira's motion related to the ex parte nature of SEPA Section 4. And so basically just what that title means is Jack Smith saying, Trump's lawyers, Walty Nauta and Carlos de Oliveira, Trump's co-defendants lawyers, 
are not entitled to be at SEPA Section 4 ex parte in-camera hearings. The law is crystal clear. The special counsel, Jack Smith, says, look, look at the plain text of SEPA Section 4 about ex parte in-camera hearings, but also take a look at a 2008 11th Circuit Court of Appeals case, Judge Eileen Cannon, your bosses in the 11th Circuit in a case called United States v. Campa recognize that these hearings take place ex parte in camera meeting without the criminal defendant or the criminal defendant's lawyer present. Why? Because we're dealing with such highly sensitive national security documents that in a SEPA section for hearing, the prosecutors are asking the judge to withhold certain documents and then later to substitute in place of the documents, for example, to substitute in the place of nuclear codes or war plans or things that could really damage the national security of our country, some sort of summary or other description so that the document could go before a jury at the trial so a criminal defendant's Sixth Amendment rights can be preserved while balancing the serious national security implications as well, since we don't want criminal defendants to engage in a form of blackmail called gray mail, where they go, we need these documents before a public jury, um, and we will threaten the national security, or you can dismiss these charges against us. We want to prevent that sort of blackmailing the prosecution to dismiss cases where things are highly sensitive and a criminal defendant saying these documents need to be public. We have a right to a public jury. So that's why Congress enacted this statute. And here Jack Smith is saying, look, on December 6th, Donald Trump filed this motion seeking his attorney's eyes only access to the government's filings pursuant to Section 4 of SEPA. He also seeks to compel the government to publicly file redacted versions of its SEPA Section 4 motions, but neither the statute SEPA, the Classified Information Procedures Act, nor the cases interpreting it, nor the off-point cases Trump cites justify the relief he seeks. Section 4 of SEPA, Judge Cannon, plainly contemplates and authorizes proceeding ex parte and appellate courts have held uniformly in the face of defense challenges that its text and underlying rationale justify proceeding ex parte, whereas here, defense access would defeat the motion's purpose. The 11th Circuit did so in the case, United States v. Campa, 2008. Trump fails to distinguish the Campa case, and the cases from the other circuits with similar holdings. Trump struggles to find a single case to support his motion. Even the three courts that Donald Trump cites to claim that there is some other way of handling SEPA Section 4, Special Counsel Jack Smith say they did not do what Donald Trump claims they did. He's just lying to you, Judge Cannon. Happy Stay big this Christmas. Get this fleece jacket for only $15.89 with a $20 coupon. Three colors to choose. Sign your comfy and... Happy holidays from our friends at Manscaped. The holidays are approaching <laughs> wherever your heart desires. The deodorant makes sure the best boxes how sensitive these documents are. Get your family jewels ready for the holidays. And <laughs> 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 sensitive these documents are.
Jack Smith goes, here's uh, on, on page you know, 9 and 10, he goes, the information at issue goes well beyond what even someone with a top secret SCI security clearance can lawfully access. Many of the documents require additional readings. There is no reason why Donald Trump's valet, Joaquin Nauta, or any valet, would have received such readings. Referring to Nauta as one of Donald Trump's closest advisors is a misnomer. Nauta has described his role as a personal aide to Trump, as taking care of items like Trump's wardrobe, food, schedule updates, itinerary, and appointments. That defendants are not accused terrorists, again, misses the point in determining whether the defense should be allowed access to the government's SEPA Section 4 disclosure hearing with the federal judge. Now, here's where Donald Trump overreached. Here's where Special Counsel Jack Smith is going to make Donald Trump pay. We all think that Judge Eileen Cannon is probably going to make the wrong ruling here. One of the things that Donald Trump is asking that Cannon do, kind of just rubbing his, his, his finger in Special Counsel Jack Smith's face and trying to gloat that he's got this corrupt judge who's willing to do whatever, apparently, whatever he, he wants this judge to do, is he's even saying that there should be unredacted portions of the SEPA Section 4 filings that should be made public on the public ECF docket. What Donald Trump's doing, and he knows he's doing it, is quintessential blackness, is quintessential gray matter. You could dismiss these charges, or I'm going to make Judge Cannon force you to disclose national security information on the public docket. Set aside having our lawyers have attorneys' eyes access in the secret SEPA Section 4 hearing that Congress passed a law that was signed into law so that these proceedings take place. I also want portions of that to be made public on the public docket. Why would Donald Trump be requesting that? Because he wants to harm the country. Why else would he want these documents and national security secrets to be made public? He's trying to blackmail and graymail the Department of Justice. Now, if Judge Eileen Cannon takes the bait, do you think Judge Eileen Cannon's going to take the bait? I do. I think she'll probably ignore CAMPA. The same way she asserted equitable jurisdiction over the search warrant case, I think that she will um, ignore CAMPA and she will rule in Donald Trump's favor and say this needs to be disclosed publicly and Donald Trump's lawyers can appear. So then what happens thereafter? Then Special Counsel Jack Smith goes to the 11th Circuit, and here's where you don't have to worry at all. These documents are not going on the public docket. This will be an attorney's eyes only hearing. Judge Cannon, if she sides with Trump, is going to lose, and it would be such an egregious reversible error that this is the type of error that could lead to Judge Cannon being forced off this case. The 11th Circuit has precedent that's like a three-strike rule where in another case in a sentencing issue where there were multiple times where the judge continued to make errors, the 11th Circuit finally said enough is enough. This could potentially be Judge Cannon's third strike if you count the prior two reversible errors 
she made when the search warrant was executed at Mar-a-Lago and she asserted equitable jurisdiction and was reversed twice in two scathing orders by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals back in 2022. So Jack Smith knows what he's doing here. And Donald Trump could have just sat back, let Judge Eileen Cannon continue to delay and obstruct. But now you force the issue. You force Judge Eileen Cannon to do your bidding. And she does. I think special counsel Jack Smith goes immediately to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. And if she doesn't and she rejects it, then I think that Donald Trump's going, oh, Judge Cannon, I thought you were supposed to, you know, be supportive of me. I thought you were supposed to. There's no way she makes the right ruling here. There's no, like, she's been doing everything she can. So when presented with this, as I've said, her uh, corruption is matched or in many ways even superseded or, or exceeded, rather, by her incompetence. So let's look out for that. But Jack Smith, with this opposition, calling Trump out, calling the co-defendants out, daring Judge Eileen Cannon to make reversible error, pointing out the Campo case. It is brilliant legal work. Make Trump pay for his overreach here. Jack Smith, it's going down in the government's consolidated opposition to Trump's motion for access to SEPA Section 4 filings and how to end all of errors motion related to the ex parte nature of SEPA Section 4. Do your pronouns and read your book. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers. Thanks for your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? We'll continue the conversation by following us on Instagram. At Midas Touch. Keep up with the most She don't need no Instagram. She just uses Tristagram. Hope that's what it says. Love your content. Keep up the great work. Wow, wow, wow. Let's see what else Old Midas Touch has up its sleeve this morning. Whatever the holidays means to you, get the most out of them in a new heart. Donald Trump spending the morning begging. Yes, you are. Hi there. Donald Trump spending the morning begging President Biden to drop the charges against him. The fact mm -hmm. that Donald Trump believes that is something a President of the United States can do tells you everything you need to know about Donald Trump. Here's what he's posting. President Biden should drop all of these fake political indictments against me, both criminal and civil. Every case I am fighting is the work of the DOJ and White House. No such thing has ever happened in our country before. Banana Republic, question mark, question mark, election interference. I mean, how pathetic can you get? One of the things I want to show you, though, now, and I loved it this week, is President Biden pushing back. President Biden took the gloves off during a recent speech, and I want to show you what he said. First, let me show you what Donald Trump just said at a speech that he just gave where he went over that same line again about immigrants poisoning the blood and Donald Trump quoting Adolf Hitler. But here he says, I've never read Mein Kampf. I never read it, but sure knows how to pronounce it. Here, play this clip. It's crazy what's going on. They're ruining our country. And it's true. 
They're destroying the blood of our country. That's what they're doing. They're destroying our country. They don't like it when I said that. And I never read Mein Kampf. They said, oh, Hitler said that in a much different way. Yeah, they're coming from all over the world, people all over the world. We have no idea. They could be healthy. They could be very unhealthy. They could bring in disease that's going to catch on in our country. But they do bring in crime. But they have them coming from all over the world. So take a look at that clip from Donald Trump at his recent speech in Waterloo, Iowa. And let's compare it to what President Biden has to say. Take a look at this. Gloves are off. Play the clip. You know, we always believe diversity is our strength as a nation. I don't believe, as the president, former president said again yesterday, that immigrants are polluting, polluting our blood. And then President Biden said this. Play it. By the way, so far, we've created 14 million new jobs, more jobs in two years than any president created in four years in history. It's a fundamental break from trickle-down economics, economics that's supercharged, my, my, uh, was, was supercharged by my predecessor, the guy who thinks we're polluting the blood of America. We cut taxes for the wealthy big corporations, shipped good-paying jobs overseas, shrank public investment in infrastructure and education. We used to have the number one infrastructure in the world, now we're number 16 or 17. We've changed it. And then President Biden pointed out that Republicans are against Americans. Let's be clear. Republicans are against so many critical actions that help working and middle class people, especially black Americans. Just remember how the pandemic hit black businesses, especially ours. How my predecessor on his watch, women and minority-owned small businesses found themselves last in line accessing emergency relief with programs like the Paycheck Protection Program. On my watch, energy and emergency relief went to minority-owned businesses first, not last. Oh, and as President Biden was walking to his car, walking to, they call it the Beast, the, uh, the car that the president uh, drives in, he was asked the question about the Colorado uh, Supreme Court's ruling that Donald Trump is disqualified. Watch how he handled the question. Perfect. Let's play the clip. So as President Biden is doing that, take a look at what Stephen Miller is saying. And this is important because Stephen Miller is basically writing these speeches for Donald Trump. He will have a major role if Trump ever disgraces our uh, country again in that Oval Office. And here's what Stephen Miller had to say, doubling down, parroting Adolf Hitler-type comments right here about the, the poisoning the blood rhetoric right here. Here, play the clip. We need the right word. We are being conquered. This is a complete 
resettlement of America in real time. It took hundreds of years, going back long even before our founding, going back all the way to the earliest days of the colonies in America, to slowly build everything that we have. And now we have millions of people coming in from different cultures and different ways of living and different belief systems. They're going to take those belief systems with them to America. So a generation from now, I am telling you, Jesse, people will not know the country that they are living in. These consequences are permanent. Unless there is massive, long-scale deportation by the millions, it will be irrevocable. And here Stephen Miller gloats or brags or says what would be a great Christmas is if he had a pilot's license and could start mass deportation himself over Christmas. Play the clip. And, yeah, the and I'm, I'm hearing that Stephen Miller is getting his pilot's license next month, and he's going to be personally <laughs> deporting these people, plane load after plane load. Is that true, Miller? Don't get me excited, Jesse. Look, the <laughs> That's how you want to spend your retirement, right? <laughs> yeah. I said, I, I would spend my Christmas holidays doing that if I could, Jesse. I think. And again, I'm trying to show here the contrast between the types of things that President Biden is saying, the normalcy there, versus this MAGA madness. This is all in the past 24, 48 hours. Take a look at this. Kellyanne Conway, who talked about Trump's alternative facts, here she is on Fox, and this is what she has to say. These are her alternative facts. And just this bizarre, deranged world they've created for themselves. Here, play this clip. Trump on those grounds, or that he's being convicted. So it is in doubt. And when you look at, look, I just think the Democrats wake up every morning, Emily, and they look at the calendar, the iPhone says January 6, 2021. The date never changes. And then they get an electric vehicle, go get an abortion. I just described the Democrats on the field in seven seconds. Um, that's it. That's what I think. But it's and as I mentioned before, that this bizarre world, take a look at Donald Trump Jr.'s fiance Kimberly Guilfoyle, posting nude photos of her and, and Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. And she just posts these photos all day. She hosts one of the main podcasts, by the way that the right-wing influencers uh, really like. Uh, a real true person of the people uh, right there. By the way, this is same day. Eric Trump spoke at that right-wing talking, uh, Turning Points USA, whatever they call it, the big right-wing influencer group. And here he has to say that his friends in the military, they didn't make stuff up, by the way. His friends in the military say they don't focus on the military anymore. They focus on the woke. Play the clip. This is the priority of our military. I have friends who are in the military right now who are saying they spend more time on woke causes and paperwork and nonsense and seminars and recesses than they do on actually learning how to fight. Do you think they're worried about that in China? Are you going to let the green media companies and their crazy high prices decide if your family is allowed to change land this winter? No. Nope. Former NASA engineer from Michigan is teaching just a bunch of losers. Just make shit up. Here's Eric Trump believing that his brother Baron is 15. Baron turns 18 in March. Could you imagine if I was doing shady deals and I was sending money to Baron's bank account? Baron at 15 years old would be in jail. I would be in jail. My father would be in jail. Wait, we wouldn't even have a trial. The trial would be over before it even started. And they want to know the age your brother, but I digress. And here Eric Trump praises those who are involved in the January 6th insurrection, saying they peacefully protested. They did not. 
plays the clip. Look at January 6th. Look at January 6th. People showed up at the Capitol. And what? And then you see some of the charges that they're, they're being thrown at them? So, so you no longer have the right to protest peacefully. Mm-hmm. You get charged under the Insurrection Act now if you show up at the Capitol because you don't like what your government's doing? They've weaponized that system, guys. Oh, and by the way, here is AOC, like, like who are the people running against Democrats right now? Like, what does it mean to be a MAGA Republican? Here is AOC's Republican opponent providing her constitutional analysis of the Colorado Supreme Court decision. I want to give a trigger warning here that she uses very strong language. This is the MAGA Republican opponent to AOC. Play this clip. Colorado. And how afraid the Democrats are for us to vote, we the people. This isn't up to those third world that made this decision, okay? This is up to the people. They shouldn't have a say, but they're getting all this out of the playbook of the communists. Communist playbook. Remember that. Once they took Supreme Court putting overturn for a Democrat controlled everything, it would stand. That should fucking stand you. It should stand each and every one of you. What a joke that this decision is. Afraid to let us vote? This is our decision. We the people. This needs to be reversed. It needs to be reversed quickly. And it needs to stop. It needs to fucking stop. What are you afraid of? You're so afraid of Donald Trump. Why? Because our country was good under him. It was safe. It was flourishing. So like I said, come 2024, and third world. And then here at uh, the Charlie Kirk talking point, turning point USA, whatever they call it, they call it their average American segment. And, and here's someone who said that he was fired by Best Buy because he refused to participate in the diversity training because it was against his religion, and they've got the Trump mugshot. New appliances and everything, and what they do, they, they push this whole agenda on us. What, what does learning about LGBTQ, the trans community, have to do with installing appliances? Mm. I, I just couldn't do it. I, I, like I said, I'm European. We got a big mouth. So when it came to that, I, I dipped out, and my manager was trying to tell me I was in the wrong for having my faith. Excuse me, sir, that's not how we do things around here. No, this is America. This is not. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Going on. But by the way, that's the President Biden I want. That's the President Biden that's the President Biden we will see. And as the economic metrics and people start recognizing the economic metrics are trending, we have a long way to go, but all being because of policy trending in a productive direction, GDP leading the world, inflation the lowest of all G7 nations, a lot of work to do, wages up, unemployment down, job numbers up, 40,000 infrastructure projects across the country. These are good good things to talk about right here. 
we'll keep talking about the New York Mighty Ducks later. Thank you for watching. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers thanks to your support and everything. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report. We'll continue the conversation by following us on Instagram. At Midas She don't need no Instagram. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. She just uses just a gram. Great job. Making coffee every day didn't work. Making coffee it every day did not work for me. Thumbs up. Get Cannon off the case. Tipping over the intermediary court, the DC Court of Appeals. But the DC Court of Appeals, not to be outdone, they would like to assert jurisdiction over the appeal and they want to be heard first. They've got simultaneous briefing schedules, so it's like a battle of the bands. U.S. Supreme Court on one side, DC Court of Appeals on the other, and we talk about it one place only on the most recent episode of Legal AF. Take a listen. So I think the United States Supreme Court, they'll get Trump's briefing on December 20th, despite Donald Trump and his lawyers saying they want the Supreme Court to step in. They're going to argue the Supreme Court shouldn't step in, and they're actually going to cite the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals expedited briefing schedule as a reason why the Supreme Court shouldn't step in. They should say, we may want you to step in after the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals rules, so delay it until after that happens. I think the Supreme Court's going to look at that expedited briefing schedule and say that it's premature for them to rule at this time because the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is um, moving quickly. I think we'll have a response by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals um, and a ruling before February 1st. The, the part that I truly don't know, though, is ultimately... Will the Supreme Court then take up this issue? And this is where you got to see what Donald Trump's you know, response is going to be. Is he going to argue it should not go before the Supreme Court, or is he arguing it should go before the Supreme Court, and then it just delays, you know, but just delay it until after? If the Supreme Court takes certiorari after the uh, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals makes its ruling, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals makes its ruling before February 1, and then the United States Supreme Court hears oral argument, sets an oral argument, they may do that, and then they set an oral argument, which they believe to be on an expedited schedule, like a 45 to 60 day schedule, and then that kicks it into the, you know, into the summer. I think that would be problematic, uh, Michael Kolpak, if, if that happens, and I'd prefer that the Supreme Court to kind of just, you know, at, at this point, it's a tough one because special counsel Jackson says he wants them to hear it. But if they set it on a schedule that's... That's what? That becomes kind of problematic on the trial, you know, on, on the trial schedule. I think the Supreme Court's going to hear it. I think they're going to hear it after the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals rules, and it is my hope that the Supreme Court 
uh, sets that for more of like like right away because all of the briefings basically there and that they recognize they want to keep this trial and schedule that to me is the only variable of like actually delaying this trial date to an area where it becomes problematic is until the supreme court set a briefing schedule that really kind of pushes this to a time that's um you know where, where, where it can't be tried before the election now in the meantime, let's just not forget that Manhattan District Attorney case, that will go in March then. Criminal case against Trump before Judge Juan Mason for Trump's uh, failure to appropriately uh, log the business records for his hush money payments or to falsify or fraudulently place, you know, to put what these uh, legal expenses were for, um, or calling them legal expenses when they were hush money payments. That case goes to trial then in March and then this one gets kicked to the next one. I want to see this case go first, though. Yeah. So I acknowledge that um, my desire to have it go first is hoping that hope springs eternal. I also recognize that if the Supreme Court does take certiorari after D.C., that could push it till after the Manhattan DA case. I, I might be an outlier. I think this goes a lot faster. Um, I think other than Bush versus Gore, which took about 30 days, or less to decide um, the major issue of who is going to be the president of the United States. There's been no more important decision to our constitutional republic than whether Donald Trump is a convicted uh, criminal or not before the November election. And I think they certainly can move a lot faster than we just mapped out here, and that they should. And one of the ways to do that, uh, if they believe it's as important as I've just laid out, and the first signal that I might be, I may be right, and, and <laughs> We all want to be. We all want it fast. So it's not that. That's not like I'm trying to win a bet. But one of the, the fact that they even thought, you know what? Let's see if we can have a direct appeal directly to us. That's interesting. That's let's give a fast track briefing on that. And then if they decide, I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. I think Donald Trump argues he's getting he's getting his ass kicked, understandably, in the District of Columbia with these three judge panels. They're generally coming up. Biden, Biden, Obama, 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 Biden, you know, uh, Obama, Biden, George W. appointees, and he's not doing well. It's a, it's a, it's a more uh, democratic uh, place. Yeah, this, if you will. this current panel is a child, Biden, Pan, Biden, <laughs> right. and Henderson, Reagan, George H. W. Bush, but an old school Republican, not a MAGA. Yeah, no, not a MAGA Trumper. So. If I'm Donald Trump, I may, as to answer a question you raised before, I may want to support trying to get a direct, argue for direct appeal jurisdiction of the U.S. Supreme Court because, you know, on paper he's got slightly better odds there with some of the people that are on there. If they, if they grab it, if they just think, look, this is so important to our, our system of government, our way of life, our democracy, that we are going to do the extraordinary thing as, as Jack Smith said in his briefing. This is an extraordinary request, but this is an extraordinary case. And if they see that, this is their moment. You know, it's a little scary to say that because we don't trust the Supreme Court for, for very good reason. Just as it was their moment in 2000 to decide a five to four decision. It was one vote for Bush. That's why we had a presidency called Bush. It should have been four uh, based on what was brought up to them. But if that is their new theory now, 23 years later, we should make this decision and not leave it to others. And they'll make it quickly, just as they did in, in Gore versus uh, Bush versus Gore. Um, and I think that can get made. After, what's the? Uh, sorry, you're better with the with the. Data.
case than I am. What's the last big edge of the U.S. Supreme Court whether we should take jurisdiction or not? December 20th. I think if they all right, so if they rule, I think they rule quickly after that, maybe with oral argument, uh, maybe early January, and then they'll go like that. That's we've seen the fast track briefing. They gave they gave a week for Supreme Court briefs or less in the Bush versus Gore. So when they want to, they can get off the stick. If they do that and they and they have it fully briefed on the fundamental issue of immunity by mid January, they can make a decision by January and not terribly impact February or March. It won't roll out. I don't think they would risk as an institution deciding to take the issue and then knowing that the case has stayed and then just let it roll out to help out Donald Trump until the election. I just I mean it would be People wanted to topple the Supreme Court before because, you know, uh, uh, because of the ethics issues and the fact that the way that they're ruling to take away women's rights to choose and expanding Second Amendment rights. You imagine what, you know, you, you hear the, the MAGA Republican podcasters and things say, this world, there'll, there'll be blood in the streets if Donald Trump will put, you know, imagine what would happen to America if they took the case and then, and then kept him being tried and let him stand for election. Well, and that's why it was such a... That's why it was such a brilliant move by Special Counsel Jack oh, yeah. Smith also to call Donald Trump's bluff. Okay, you believe you have absolute presidential immunity? You believe you should be treated like a king for criminal acts? If you believe that, and that's what you're out there saying, bet I'll give you the opportunity right now. I'm going to ask the Supreme Court to do it. Now, if you really want the Supreme Court to do it, like you say in your speeches, like your lawyer Alina Hoppe, is out there saying you want the Supreme Court to intervene? If you believe you have this king-like immunity in criminal cases, here's your shot. And so it was the perfect aggressive move. And it's also Jack Smith saying to the American public, too, I'm doing everything I can do. You wanted the aggressive prosecutor. You wanted somebody who did every possible maneuver they could do. I'm going directly to the United States Supreme Court on this issue. And your point, Michael Popak, put the Supreme Court in the hot seat. The American people saw what you did in overturning Roe. The American people saw what you did in gutting all of these rights. You claim that you're not trying to create this handmaid's tale, you know, world, even though your ruling suggests the exact opposite. I'm going to put this in your lap right now, United States Supreme Court. You have the opportunity to make the statement that you're just for is a simple one. Does a former president have absolute presidential immunity for their criminal acts while they are in office? That's the question. The answer is very simple. No. It clearly should not be complicated, both for the reasons the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals said in Blasingham as it relates uniquely to Donald Trump's conduct, as it relates more broadly and more fundamentally within our constitutional regime, within our democracy, presidents are not kings and Donald Trump is not the president. Those words, prophetic as they were, but by Judge Tanya Chutkin in 2021 in a case where Donald Trump was suing the January 6th committee where he tried to assert king-like executive privilege 
before the January 6th committee got all of its records. And those words are fundamental and foundational to our democracy, fundamental and foundational to why you and I decided we're going to do this legal AF show. We, we, we need to get that message out there. And, and, and finally, Michael Popak, I do want to turn, though, to the topic of... Can I interrupt for one second? Yeah. That time while you were while you were giving that good analysis, it's even faster than I thought in Bush versus Gore. The Florida Supreme Court made a decision upon which the Bush versus Gore that gave Bush the presidency on the eighth of December of two thousand. Okay, on the ninth of December, court granted certiorari. There was oral argument on the eleventh of December, and they ruled on the twelfth of December. That was done in four days. There's no excuse if they take this case that they, they have to do it in longer than a week or two. So there's precedent for them moving, no pun intended, quickly on issues that, that could rock our constitutional republic. Oh, look, here's what, da- here's what Donald Trump's going to, it's not a secret what Donald Trump's going to argue. He's out there saying it, though. He's going to say the, and, and again, this is because it's an objective reporting here on Legal AF. Trump is going to say, well, you waited if you thought this was that big of a crisis, you could have filed this back on January, you know, seventh. Obviously, Bill Barr couldn't 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 bring it back. You know, Bill Barr was out, and Donald Trump's own DOJ wasn't going to bring it against him, and they were cowardly. And then there had to be an investigation. So th- that becomes the argument, though, you know, which is, you know, special counsel have the special counsel appointed to have the special counsel go through the process. Donald Trump obstructed this. Let's be clear, though, because I know there is a lot of reasons to potentially fault Merrick Garland for not bringing this sooner against Donald Trump. But let's also not forget that Merrick Garland also has secured over a thousand convictions of January 6th insurrectionists all the way up to the Proud Boys. And at every step of the way, Trump and his MAGA crew have been trying to undermine the rule of law, taking every possible appeal to block all of these things happening. Judge Beryl Howell, who we mentioned at the outset, she's the judge presiding over the Giuliani case. You see how all of the connections are made right here. Judge Beryl Howell, who's a federal judge, so she oversees civil and criminal cases in D.C. She used to be the presiding judge in Washington, D.C. As the presiding judge, she was the judge assigned to all of the disputes before the D.C. grand jury. So she saw all of these January 6th. Um, cases. She saw all of the Donald Trump proceedings as well for the grand jury proceedings right there. And Trump tried to block everything before. Everything was a a fight. Everything was a delay. Everything was a briefing. One other note about Judge Beryl Howell. And by the way, that's what I think Jack Smith's going to say. This was moved as within our legal system. This is being moved as expeditiously as it possibly can. And here we are, a federal judge has set a court date, set it. And I think Jack Smith has the more powerful argument. I just want to give you the arguments that are going to be made there. One other point about Judge Beryl Howell, though. So Elise Stefanik and the MAGA members of Congress who just do whatever Donald Trump wants, it's like the most pathetic thing in the world. Elise Stefanik now sends letters reporting judges to their judicial ethics committees that govern the judges if Donald Trump doesn't like the judge. So Elise Stefanik back in, I think it was either October or November, sent one about Judge Arthur Goron to the Judicial Council that over, 
sees the judicial conduct of New York state court judges. And Elise Stefanik just sent one complaining about Judge Beryl Howell. Because Judge Beryl Howell received an award from the Women's White Collar Bar Association in Washington, D.C. Um, for her career achievements. And in the speech, Judge Beryl Howell talked about how big lies are permeating and how lies are distorting truth and how our democracy is under attack. Elise Stefanik says that that statement by Judge Beryl Howell was inappropriate and shows her bias against Republicans, who I guess is against Elise Stefanik just saying the quiet part out loud. And if you condemn and criticize fascism, you are condemning and criticizing one of the two major political parties right now, the one that Elise Stefanik is as a member of the MAGA Republican Party. So I just wanted to point out all of those connections. Well, if you like lawyers knowing what they're talking about when it comes to politics, law, and justice, you've come to the right place. Legal AF. You know all about us already. We appreciate you. Thank you. Take that clip. Try to build our audience. Send it to people in your life that you like, or maybe some you don't, and ask them to take a watch. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about and who this guy is, I'm Michael Kofox. That was a clip from Legal AF. And uh, you can catch us every Wednesday and Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the YouTube channel for the Biden Insights Network. Help them get to 2 million new subscribers. They're so close. Please just give us a nugget. Uh, and then until my next hot take, until my next Legal AF, Michael Kofox reporting. Thanks so much for watching. We're only a few subscribers short of 2 million subs. Please subscribe right now to the Midas Touch YouTube channel for free and help us grow this unapologetically pro-democracy network. That's a commercials, man.
which alters the balance of power by increasing the president's authority over every part of the federal government that now operates by either law or tradition with any measure of independence or political interference by the White House. Numerous former Trump officials are involved with Project 2025, and look, it's not some shadowy behind-the-scenes effort. It's been open about its plans to gut worker protections and dismantle environmental protections. It includes their plans to make switching right-wing Christianity the federal government's job. It's all in there, in the nearly thousand-page playbook, calling on the next president to maintain a, quote, biblically-based, social science-reinforced definition of marriage and family. Guthrie Grace Fitzsimmons writes for MSNBC, Concerned about policies of this kind aren't only about the possible return of Donald Trump to office. This is about the next Republican president, whoever it may be, is going to be pushing Christian nationalism. So, Mike, you got this reporting out about Project 2025. I'm shocked that there hasn't been more of this, but that clip that you just saw ends with this warning about Christian nationalism. For those who are unfamiliar with the term, can you just give a layman's definition of what that is and why it's dangerous for democracy? Well, sure. Uh, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Uh, I mean, essentially, Christian nationalism, people can give you a more technical definition, but it's essentially the exact same the idea of separation of church and state, right? This is an idea that the federal government ought to be using its power to uh, drive certain interpretation of Christian values as social policy. And that equates to everything from how we educate our children uh, to what you can go to jail for in this country, right? Uh, a complete break with the founding fathers, a complete break with the First Amendment. Um, you know, this is the idea that we ought to move in the direction of being a religious country uh, in, in its governmental intentions. Um, it's not a new idea. Uh, it's an idea that's come up here and there, it's, it's the same kind of threat of American politics that you know wanted to criminalize teaching evolution in the past and that kind of thing. Um, it's not new, uh, but it's taken a particularly dangerous form, I think, recently. It's certainly not new, but until the rise of MAGA and Trumpism, it seemed at least like a fringe idea, this idea of knocking down any barrier between church and state. In fact, even evangelical churches through you know, much of the, the, the 60s and 70s into the 80s, you had uh, Christy Dumais on the show and Angela Duckworth. They were very wary about getting that involved in politics because something fundamental has shifted. And now you have groups like the Heritage Foundation, which is behind Project 2025, being so hatred by civilological thinking and uh, Christian nationalist ideals that, you know, not only is that, that wall being destroyed, they're talking about religion driving government, religious ideology driving uh, policy and Christian nationalism being the rallying cry. Yeah, and, and this is not a fringe thing. I think that's a really important point, right? This is probably 2025, as I understand it, we're talking about a 2020 $22 million effort, at least. Um, 75 organizations are signed on to this thing. It, it's being run by deep established organizations like the Heritage Foundation. Um, so there's nothing there's nothing fringe about it at all. I mean, this is a coordinated spokesperson 
to learn from half what they would need to pass the state. But you know, I think the most uh, forward way to say it is just the total incompetence of the first Trump administration. Their, their incompetence is actually helping the country to learn from that and to try to create and maintain and condition all the federal bureaucracy at a very fundamental level. And that could effectively neuter Congress. This is one of the things I find really striking about it. Um, the people involved in this effort talk about Congress as an imperial Congress, which is a strange contradiction in terms, right? I mean, Congress is the people's house. But they want to take Congress's power away and move it into the, into the hands of the president, take the Department of Justice's power away, move that into the hands of the president. Um, so it's a very imperial effort to, to consolidate power. They might have a very willing agent in the Speaker of the House. And just to remind folks, that is a position that puts its holder two heartbeats away from the presidency. And in Mike Johnson, you have a valid Christian master who's described America not as a democracy, but as a biblical republic. So this, this idea that the Heritage Foundation is, is working from the outside trying to influence politicians that they would have this door. They actually, they've won already, in a sense, placing people like Mike Johnson in positions of incredible influence. That's absolutely right. And that's absolutely right. But, I mean, I feel like I need a time machine you know, back to the days that you were arguing about repealing prohibition so we could get a beer afterwards and whether, you know, women could vote. I mean, it's at that level of kind of idiocracy that I think these folks are operating. And they have, they have taken a great deal of power. Um, I think it's a strange contradiction. This is simultaneously an incredibly well thought out, well financed, detailed plan to dismantle American democracy effectively, and incredibly unlikely to work in a lot of ways that I think that doesn't make it better. You know, I, I don't think this would go smoothly. I think there are a lot of things about this that immediately contradict themselves. Um, you know, you want to take a tougher position on China, for example, and dismantle the national security state at the same time. You know, the FBI can't collect intelligence unless you're tough on China. I mean, none of this is going to work. Um, but that doesn't make it any better. I mean, it, it just creates uh, an even more dangerous situation if you think about the national security of the country. Um, but it's clearly not a good one. And there's a lot of money and there are a lot of people behind it. Your breakfast box just got easier with our amazing egg opener. Crush eggs like a pro and avoid messing stones. All for only 29 cents. Well, we're only 29 cents. But it's clearly not a joke, and there's a lot of money, and there are a lot of people doing this. Thanks for listening, everyone. I've got a quick break here, but I need a favor first. Shows like this depend on your support. Please, if you can spare five seconds, click the link to the... Help us marry those those two separate ideas. Those I think it's really well said. You know, you, um, the first Trump administration and all of the failures that that administration experienced. But <clears throat> this admission that in many ways Trump's ideas were right on, but the implementation was stymied by people in government who would not let him play fast and loose with the Constitution, or with the law, and the solution is, is less to uh, make Trump a better president than to dismantle everything they want to do. God knows what are the first time. I think it's really well said. You know, you, you're talking about Trump, 
how he describes it. Those are Diaper Don's words. I am your retribution.
we're at that point where people that, that we went to school with uh, and some great legal minds are rationalizing this now. You know, on a personal level, sure. You know, I, I know a lot of these people. So do you, right? We, you know, we, we've had debates and, and in some cases friendships and occasionally devil's own guidance a decade or more. On the other hand, if you look at the rising authoritarian movements around the world, and historically, there are a lot of lawyers involved every single time. Um, it's it's the papering over of the crimes. It's the understanding how to dismantle and reshape the bureaucracy that you can control in order to control a, a country, a state. That's that's lawyer stuff. 